Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time agents! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT on this Thursday, April the 13th of 2023. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat is on the air until 6:40 tonight. That's when we step away for South Bend Cubs baseball here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. South Bend is taking on the Beloit Skycarp tonight. They are the Miami Marlins high A affiliate. Each team has won a game so far in this series. Brendan King and Max Toma will have the play-by-play for you starting at 7.05. Pre-game coverage begins at 6.45. We've got Sportsbeat ready to roll for you on this Thursday evening. We've got our hat trick of opening topics to get to coming up in just a moment. And then I want to kick around a thought with you in regards to how college football works when the regular season is not taking place. A high-level Division I college football coach was asked about Maybe some things that can be done differently during the offseason. And this coach talked about having the opportunity to play an opponent in the spring game or maybe even a preseason football game in August. Is that something that makes sense? We'll tell you which coach had these ideas and we'll kick around that conversation coming up in about 20 minutes or so. Here on WSBT Radio, also still to come, we've got our Twitter question of the day, our My 5 question of the day for today, the top five NFL draft developing storylines with the draft starting now 
in just 14 days. The first round will take place two weeks from tonight in Kansas City. Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer more than likely will hear his name called two weeks from tonight in Kansas City. We've got a little sizzler also to get to before the end of the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, not many fans were in the ballpark to see history today. Another small crowd down in Tampa. The Tampa Bay Rays have tied the Major League Baseball modern record for best start to a Major League Baseball season. They won their 13th consecutive game today as they finished off a four-game sweep of the Boston Red Sox. It was a come-from-behind win. Rays 9, Red Sox 3. And now the Rays at 13-0 joined the 1982 Atlanta Braves, managed by Joe Torre, and the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers as the three teams in the modern era to start the Major League Baseball season 13-0. And Tampa Bay has been destroying opponents during this 13-game winning streak. They have outscored their opponents 100-30. to And they have only trailed at an end of an inning Six times out of a possible 117 innings. So it has not even been close so far for Tampa Bay as they have been rolling to that 13-0 start, outscoring the opposition 100-30. to It feels like they're going to be getting close to clinching the AL East. Their start is so doggone good right now. We'll see what happens when they open up a weekend series tomorrow against a really good club, the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll see if the Rays can at least make it 14-0 when they take on Canada's team tomorrow night up in Toronto. Otherwise, been watching some golf this afternoon. After the Masters, they're playing the Heritage down in South Carolina. John Rahm decided to play this week after winning the Masters. I think we could probably guess the mental fatigue, the physical fatigue, That was the result of John winning the first major of the golf season last weekend at Augusta National, battling the weather along the way. It would be very easy to back out of his commitment to play in this golf tournament, but Rahm is playing. In fact, he said something along the lines, there's a lot of kids that want to see the guy who just won the Masters play, so I'm not backing out. I'm sticking by my commitment to play. He's playing the Heritage. He birdied one of the first four holes. And then went bogey, bogey, bogey. And I think he might have just made bogey once again. After the third bogey, I think if you know golf and John Rahm, he's got a tad bit of a temper. Gets excited. The golf ball went into the lake with a flip of the wrist. But I believe he bogeyed his fourth consecutive hole. He got really a bad break up against a lip. And so he came up about 20 feet short. And I'm assuming he missed the par putt. So the Masters champion having a rough go, but I give him credit for playing this week at the Heritage after winning the Masters last weekend. We've got the golf show coming up Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Brought to you by Michelob Ultra here on WSBT Radio. I will take a look back at last weekend's third and fourth round of the Masters. So we'll talk some more Augusta National Saturday on the golf show presented by Michelob Ultra on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
We start tonight's program with our hat trick of opening topics. Three topics to get tonight's program started. And we're going to begin with Notre Dame football spring practice conversation. Last night on the program, I was joined by Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. And yesterday, the Irish media had the chance to watch a full practice. The second full practice opened to the media this spring. So I asked Tyler about what caught his attention watching a full Notre Dame football practice yesterday. Is there something that really stood out? Maybe a player that stood out. Well, I think Tyler sparked a lot of conversation among Irish fans. Now, I want to say this before we play the soundbite. You know, you see bits and pieces of practice, and then you get to watch those two full practices. So who knows what you see in those two practices Not may not be the norm or what the coaches are seeing when the media are not around. We don't know. We just have to guess. You go by what you see while you have the chance to watch practice. So what stood out to Tyler watching a full practice yesterday? Well, it's interesting, and it makes you wonder, is this the norm in every practice, or are we just catching the quarterbacks at the wrong time? For me, it's got to be the quarterback competition, which I didn't really think was going to be much of one. And I've come on your program before and said, yeah, Notre Dame is labeling these things as a quarterback competition, but it's not really much of one. That happened two years ago, I would say, with Jack Cohn and Drew Pine, and then it happened last year again with Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. Uh, Pine was supposed to lose both of those, and he decidedly did by mid-August. I would not be surprised if this thing maybe drags a little longer and we go into that first week of the season, you know, late August, coming up on August 26th when Notre Dame is scheduled to play Navy and this sort of still be a conversation because like I said we've watched two practices now in their entirety from wire to wire that's four hours worth of Notre Dame football and I think Tyler Buckner looks like the better quarterback in both of those practices better than the Wake Forest transfer Sam Hartman now is that going to be the case on August 1st when Fall camp starts up, and you're within a month of a game, and now you've had a guy in Sam Hartman who's played five years of college football, who's been on Notre Dame's campus for, at that point, you know, really over half a year. I mean, he got here in early January. Right now, it's only been three months, and it very much looks like he is a guy who is learning wide receivers and learning a new offense and just trying to get acclimated because... We talked on this program about how I watched all 12 of Sam Hartman's games from last season at Wake Forest, and I wrote about every single one of those at blueandgold.com. And for the most part, outside of when the Wake Forest offensive line let him down a little bit, he looked fantastic. I mean, this is a guy who threw almost 40 touchdown passes and uh, about an interception per, per game, but that was because he is so aggressive in getting the ball downfield. We have not seen that aggression, and we have not seen that accuracy from Sam Hartman this spring and again you have to go a little deeper to find out why that has been the case but I am very confident sitting here talking to you today on Mm. April 12th and saying Tyler Buckner has been the better quarterback this spring for whatever reason 
Well, that caught my attention, probably caught your attention. I said it before playing the audio. Tyler said it during his explanation. It is just two practices, the two practices that he and others witnessed, and that Sam Hartman right now is still, I think, trying to find his footing with his brand-new football team. Now, we have to consider the obstacles that Sam has to overcome joining a new football team. Well, the first is joining a new football team, getting used to everything around him. You also have a brand-new offense. He is trying to get down something different than he ran at Wake Forest. You have a new offensive coordinator that I'm sure is adding in what he likes in an offense to go along with a lot of things that Notre Dame has done the last couple of years. I think an underrated task that takes a little time to adjust to, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest was always at the line of scrimmage calling a play, and the only time he was under center is when they were in victory formation, just taking the snap and taking a knee. Here at Notre Dame, you're going to have to play from under center at times. You're going to huddle. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it breaks your norms. Think about being a quarterback in the shotgun all the time. You take the football, and immediately you get your feet set. You're already looking down the field. After you catch the football, you scan the defense. When you're under center, you've got to take that three-step, five-step, seven-step drop, whatever the case may be. Start scanning the field as you're backpedaling, and then deliver the football. Takes a little time. Drew Brees had to make that adjustment. Turned out pretty well in the National Football League. But remember, Drew at Purdue, he was in the shotgun. That changed when he went to the National Football League. At times, you're going to be under center. And Sam Hartman is making that adjustment right now. Gino Gadulli, the quarterback coach, has worked with Sam in trying to perfect being under center. It all starts with accepting the snap, getting your footwork. Correct. So it is a process, probably something you and I take for granted. But for a quarterback that's been in the shotgun, it probably feels like he's playing left-handed. It's just different than the norm for him. So I'm not here making excuses for him. I'm trying to be fair to Sam. And as we have this conversation, understand that it's a little different for him right now as he tries to get situated in this Notre Dame offense. Tyler Buckner should be farther along in the reads and everything that goes on with this offense. Jared Parker, you know, he's going to take what Tommy Reese did, tweak some things, but the foundation of this offense, I'm sure, is very, very similar. They're going to have some different formations. They run a lot of slants in practice. Hopefully that will carry over to the fall. But everybody's learning right now, and Tyler should be farther ahead if you want to be honest about the whole situation he's been around this offense for a couple of years now and has executed it in a game situation so my follow-up question to Tyler after saying that Buckner has outplayed Hartman so far in the practices that the media has watched my question is though is this Hartman 
playing down to Buckner. Is Buckner's level of play significantly better than where we left him in the bowl game where he turned it over three times but also made some big plays for this Fighting Irish offense? So I think this is important. While this is going on, this scenario is Buckner showing steady improvement. Uh, for all the Notre Dame fans out there, I wish I could say yes. And I do think he has improved. But you use the word significant. I don't think it's been significant improvement. He looks like a guy who has started three games in his career and as a freshman was basically only used in a gimmicky package and, and now is in an entirely new offense with Jared Parker leading it as opposed to Tommy Reese. He has had his moments of, ooh, what was that, Tyler, in spring practice. It's just that Sam Hartman has had more of those. So I would say this. When we went into this thing, we thought Sam Hartman was going to be leaps and bounds ahead of Tyler Buckner. That hasn't been the case, so you drop him down a few pegs from there. And yes, Tyler Buckner has played a little bit better than he did, than he showed, especially against Marshall. And then, like you said, against South Carolina, even when he turned the ball over three times. For the most part, he's been better than that. He has not turned the ball over in any of these practices that we've seen. He has not thrown an interception. Sam Hartman has thrown a couple. So I do think you move him up a couple pegs. And that's where you kind of meet in the middle and even kind of Tyler Buckner gets by Sam Hartman in a way. If you drop Hartman down a couple, you bring Buckner up a couple and say, all right, they're even. Now let's really look at this on a deeper level. Buckner hasn't thrown the picks. Buckner's accounted for a few touchdowns. And this is all just based on what we've seen in four hours worth of practices the last couple of weeks. That That's where I make the leap to say, yes, Tyler Buckner has been the better quarterback this spring. And I think if you ask a lot of the people on the beat who you know very well and can have the conversations on the side, I think they would say the same exact thing. That's Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. His thoughts on what is turning out to be a quarterback competition at Notre Dame between Hartman and Buckner. Well, it's good to hear that we have not seen the turnovers from Buckner that we saw in the bowl game. So that's a major positive. But in Tyler's opinion, we haven't seen that huge, big step forward from Buckner, but he's holding his own right now in spring practice. Here's the good news. We are four months away from the first regular season game across the pond against Navy. A lot of things are going to happen between now and then. A lot of work in the Goog for Hartman and Buckner. It'll be very important for Sam as he continues to get a grasp of this Fighting Irish offense. It's a long way to go. Who knows, come August 1st, August 15th, this conversation might seem pointless. Sam maybe takes over like we expect. Runs the offense at a high level. Coaches notice that. He's the guy. And away we go. But right now, things are just maybe a, a tad bit more cloudy than we expected. But again, new guy in town, new offense, under center, getting footwork down in the drop back. A lot of things to take into consideration. 525 at WSBT, our second of three. 
Hat trick of opening topics for tonight. We go to Major League Baseball. Yesterday, Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs agreed to a three-year, $61 million contract. The contract will cover his age 29, 30, and 31 season. So you get the prime years for Ian Happ. Now, he has had over 2,100 major league at-bats. His career numbers, 250 the average, 340 the on-base. The OPS at 800, OPS is on-base plus slugging. 800 is the number you'd like to be at. Anything above that's really good, so he's right at the standard. 105 home runs for half, 314 RBI, and 38 stolen bases. He has become a much better outfielder. He was awarded a gold glove for his play in left field last year. As a hitter last season for the Cubs, Hap really settled in as a guy that the Cubs could count on in the middle of their lineup. His batting average was 271. The majors don't worry about batting average as much as we did as kids looking at the back of baseball cards. The on-base is where it is, and his on-base last year was 342. And the OPS, 782, 17 homers, 72 driven in. Had 149 strikeouts and 573 at-bats, but also walked 58 times. I was actually caught a little off guard that the Cubs would sign Hap for three more years. I expected Hap to be a trade piece at the deadline. I just didn't expect he was going to be a part of their foundation, of their ascend back up the standings in the NL Central. But the Cubs see him as a key part, and I think the signing comes at an interesting time. Your right fielder for the next couple of years, barring a trade or something else happening, is Seiya Suzuki. We have not seen him so far in the regular season due to an injury. He's getting close to coming back. But Suzuki was signed to a massive deal by the Cubs. $17 million salary this year. He'll make $20 million next year, 18 in 2025, 18 in 2026, unrestricted free agent in 2027. So again, barring a trade, he's going to be a cub for the next few years. And you could say he was going to be he's going to be the right fielder for the next few seasons on the north side. And then you think about the top three prospects. In the Cubs system, according to MLB Pipeline, the number three prospect is outfielder Brennan Davis, who we saw in South Bend, part of the 19 championship team. I pencil him in as a corner outfielder. He could play center. I'm more comfortable with Brennan playing left field. You've got Kevin Alcantara, who is currently a South Bend Cub. Alcantara is an outfielder and the number two prospect in the Cubs system. Tall, lanky, the ball just pops off his bat. He's only in high A, so a long way to go for him. And the number one prospect in the Cubs system, the guy they hope is their center fielder for the next decade, Pete Crow Armstrong in the 2020 draft. They could have taken him in the first round. They didn't. They took Ed Howard, the high school kid out of Chicago, passed on Pete Crow Armstrong. He was taken a couple of picks later by the Mets, but the Mets gave him up for Javier Baez. Oof. So Pete Crow Armstrong, electric speed, electric defensively. If he can hit, this is a guy that the Cubs should be able to count on. 
So if you've got Pete Crow Armstrong in center field, Suzuki in right, then you're basically choosing between Davis and Happ. And I guess the Cubs have chosen Happ at least for right now. Now, some of these guys could be trade pieces. Who knows? Maybe some veteran player could be a trade piece, opening up more opportunities for the young guys right now on the roster. With such a youth movement happening in Chicago, and with all the outfielders, they feel like they have some guys that could be stars for this team. I didn't expect Hap to be re-signed. He's just not an infielder at the major league level. He's an outfielder. Of course, you've got the DH in play now in the National League. That can take up a bat also in this Cubs lineup. So I'm a little surprised, but you know what? To the Cubs' credit, sometimes, and I'm raising my hand, we fall in love with minor leaguers, and we just expect, wow, they're a number one prospect. They'll get to the majors, and they're going to be great. They're going to be a superstar. doesn't always turn out that way. Jared Kelnick, who had a couple of long home runs at Wrigley Field the last couple of days for the Mariners, has been a top prospect for a few years now after they got him from the Mets, and he struggled immensely at the major league level. Maybe he's starting to figure it out over the last week. Sometimes it takes a little more time. The Cubs know what they're going to get from Ian Happ, and they sign him for three years, $61 million. I asked this question on Twitter today. It was kind of 50-50 in the responses. Who would you rather have? Ian Happ at three years, $61 million. He's currently 28 years old. He's a switch hitter. Or would you rather have Kyle Schwarber at four years, $79 million. He's 30 years old and a left-handed power bat. I think that's a good topic for next week. Who would you rather have? Also considering the contract, Happ or Schwarber. And our third and final hat trick of opening topic for tonight, Notre Dame basketball. And let's throw out a couple of names from the transfer portal, some guards that Notre Dame, we're pretty sure they are interested in. Micah Shrewsbury was on the program Monday. We're going to replay that interview in the 6 o'clock hour tomorrow. But even on Monday, Coach Shrewsbury said, I am on the phone non-stop working the portal, talking to recruits. That's what it's all about at this time. So here are four guys that keep an eye on. They may or may not end up at Notre Dame, but worth mentioning. We're going to start with a guy that if you're an ACC fan, a Notre Dame basketball fan, you're familiar with the play of Joe Girardi at Syracuse, a 6-1 guard. Now, we do know he's going to visit LSU this weekend, but CBS Sports College Basketball Insider John Rostein reported recently that Girardi hosted Notre Dame on an in-home visit. So there is mutual interest between Girardi and Notre Dame. Now, he's going to go to LSU this weekend. This is a guy that could add some stability to the guard position. The 6'1 guard last year for Syracuse averaged 16 points, three assists, and two rebounds. He would be a good get from not only a stability standpoint at guard, but also would add some pretty good three-point shooting to this Fighting Irish basketball team. So keep Joe Girardi in mind. Another name for high school basketball fans around these parts, you might know this name. 
East Carolina guard Javon Small. Two years of eligibility left. He is actually a South Bend native who played his freshman season at South Bend Riley. Small had a breakout season for the Pirates this year, averaging 15.8 points per game, 5.6 assists, and he knocked down 33.3% of his three-point shots. Maybe he would like to follow in the footsteps of Blake Wesley from Riley to Notre Dame. A third guard possibility from the portal is Purdue's Brandon Newman. This was a really good role player for Purdue the last couple of years. Now, Coach Shrewsbury knows Brandon Newman. He was with him for two years at Purdue. This is a Valparaiso native, so a chance for Newman to continue to play basketball close to home. This year in a reserve role for the Boilermakers, six points, three rebounds, and shot 31% from the three-point line. This is a guy that might excel with a little more playing time, but mainly a reserve for the Boilermakers. See, this is the type of guy would be a nice addition from the standpoint he knows Coach Shrewsbury. He understands his system. He could be a student teacher almost for the rest of the team as they learn about Coach Shrewsbury and his system. He could be the guy the players go to to ask questions about what's going on with this team. So Brandon Newman, interesting piece. And also a fourth we'll throw out there, Arizona State guard Austin Nunez. Only averaged four points per game with Arizona State last year, but as a freshman shot 37% from the three-point line. Only played about 16 minutes a game. Again, John Rostein has reported that Nunez will visit Notre Dame and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is now coached by former Texas Tech and Texas head coach Chris Beard. So four names to keep in mind from the portal. Guards that Notre Dame could be interested in. Syracuse, Joe Girardi, East Carolina's Javon Small, Purdue's Brandon Newman, and Arizona State's Austin Nunez. That's our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. 5.36 is your time. We'll come back and talk a little more college football. And is it time for some some controlled scrimmages, possibly in the spring or the fall? Would you like to see Notre Dame take on another opponent outside of the regular season? We'll have that discussion coming up in a couple of moments. Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 W. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chase by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Five forty-one at Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. Welcome back to the program. Sports Beat brought to you tonight by Budweiser, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. 
Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. Well, the Fighting Irish have had some good battles with the Clemson Tigers the last couple of years. They'll meet once again this year, this time in Death Valley. Dabo Sweeney, the head coach of the Tigers, has taken Clemson to the top of the college football mountain, now trying to get things back going once again after what I think they would call a couple of down years at Clemson. Sweeney had some interesting comments recently in regard to spring practice coming to a close and things that could be done to help college football, improve college football. And one thing that he pointed out, he would like to see his team and other teams go head-to-head against another squad in the preseason. Now think about what the National Football League does. Their regular season is much longer. You've got the 17-game schedule over 18 weeks. But yet the National Football League now playing three preseason games. And even outside of those preseason games, during fall camp, you will see teams travel to another location to meet another squad. And they will work out all week against each other and then play an exhibition game on usually Saturday or Sunday. So you get the coaches on the field. You get competition. You're not just beating up each other. You square off against someone else. Is that something that can work in college football? Dabble had this to say, quote, I'd love it. I've said that for a million years. I'd love to play somebody in the fall where the only level of football that doesn't get a chance to scrimmage somebody, even the pros. It'd be nice to bring somebody in and do some one-on-ones against somebody else. I've said that for years. Every time you take a snap on a practice day, you're 100% invested. If anybody grabs an ankle, they're yours. You've got 22 on the field every single snap. End quote. Now, Dabo said he would like to have preseason games or practices against other opponents during fall camp. Now, if you do it in fall camp, your entire roster is going to participate. If you do something like this in the spring, then you're in a situation, you've got guys that are banged up, coming off surgery, your freshmen are not going to be all there for those practices or that particular scrimmage. So the fall, at least you would have your full roster going into that opportunity. Dabble said, quote, the spring game, there'd be some interest in that, I guess, but to me, I'd rather have it in the fall, fall camp. Even if it's just being able to practice against somebody, do some inside drill against somebody else, do some one-on-one, do some seven-on-seven like you see in high school. They go and work against each other. They practice against each other. You see it in the pros, so maybe have a day of camp embedded with somebody. I think it would be great. All we have is each other for 350 days. If everything's perfect in our world, you get 15 days to play. So it's the 350 that make a difference. We've only got each other. That's all we've got. But it'd be nice to have that opportunity somewhere along the calendar. So Dabo Sweeney of Clemson, very interested 
and having opponents rather than just facing off against your own team all the time. I like the idea in principle. I think one thing that would make a lot of people nervous, including fans and maybe even the coaches, is someone taking a cheap shot on the quarterback or something happens during these controlled scrimmages where somebody goes out of character and and hurts someone. I, I think we have to respect the participants that they are going to do the right thing. I think this is something that could absolutely work. We see high school teams get a scrimmage before the regular season starts. We see it in the pros. College football, you go out for that first game and away you go. There are four scenarios for me, and I'll rank them four to one. Fourth or my least favorite, you could have what we do right now, the spring game, which is fun in its own way, but you do have Irish against Irish or Clemson against Clemson. Number three, I would like to see a spring opponent-controlled matchup. Your spring game becomes a matchup against another school. The coaches are going to be, you know, can be on the field, the head coaches, the coordinators, you got everybody else on the sideline. I think it would be a great opportunity to have these players go up against somebody else, again, in a controlled scrimmage. And it would make spring more exciting for the fans, that's for sure. That's not the ultimate goal, is to make the fans happy. It's about making the football team better. And I think facing somebody else makes you better. Second favorite idea is controlled scrimmage in April or have at least some practices with another team. And number one, I would love to see a controlled scrimmage in August like we kind of see in the National Football League with those practices that take place. Do you want to play a preseason game? You know what? I'd be okay with it. I would love to see teams come together and work out for a few days. I think that's beneficial. It would make it more interesting for the fans. Again, I know that's not the top priority. It's doing what you need to do to make your football team better. But the idea of meeting somebody else, I think it's fantastic. You have a lot of good film to work with if you are a coaching staff. I know the injury concerns, but every day in practice, these guys step out against each other. They're going full bore. It's not going to change against another opposition. If someone's going to twist their knee against their own team tomorrow well if BYU is here and the same thing happens it happens it happens it's football injuries are going to happen I know the concern is somebody doing something stupid getting someone injured I think we can say that most players a majority of players are going to do the right thing in these particular situations so I'm intrigued by this I'm glad to hear Dabo say he would like to see the opportunity to have controlled scrimmages or have practices against another university. I'm all in favor of that as well. I think it's a great opportunity for all the coaching staffs to get some interesting tape to look at, not just one-on-ones or one-versus-twos in your own practice. You get to go mano-a-mano against another team. That's a lot of good video to check out. Not sure if this is going to happen anytime soon, but – I'm glad Davo brought it up, and I'm all in favor of it. 5.49 is our time. We'll take a timeout. Twitter question of the day coming up in a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 
554 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports Beat rolls on for this Thursday evening. My name is Darren Pritchett. My Twitter account is at 960 Sportsbeat. Always keep that in mind because every weekday I come up with a Twitter question of the day and ask for your vote on that Twitter account. Last night's program, the question was, which former Chicago Cubs player do you wish was still on the club? Your four choices were Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, or Wilson Contreras. All members of the 2016 World Championship squad. It was easy to keep Javier Baez off the list because I don't think I'm embellishing. Tiger fans will back me up. He stinks. What a horrible contract the Tigers gave him. So which former Chicago Cub player do you wish was still on the club? Coming in fourth place, current St. Louis Cardinals catcher Wilson Contreras. I figured he would be a distant fourth. I think Wilson defensively should be a lot better. Offensively, he's okay. Gives you some good numbers behind the plate. But defensively, I wouldn't put him in the top half in Major League Baseball. Strong arm, but everything else, still a work in progress. Third place in the voting. Former Cub third baseman and outfielder now. An outfielder for the Colorado Rockies, Chris Bryant. He signed a massive deal with the Rockies last year. Maybe played 30 games due to injury. Back healthy so far this year. Just not the same guy that was the MVP of the National League. I'm surprised he got 10.1% of the vote considering the other two guys ahead of him. Maybe just Chris Bryant fans voted for him because he's just not even close to the same player. Which former Chicago Cub player do you wish was still on the club? Second place in the voting. Former Cub outfielder and now a member of the Philadelphia Phillies Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber got 36% of the vote. Now, I think you can make a strong argument. Schwarber would have been a good keep for the Cubs. He's not going to hit for a big average, but he gets on base and his OPS, his power numbers are off the chart. It is tough to find left-handed power bats in Major League Baseball. And boy, is he that little babe, right? Hit over 40 bombs for the Philadelphia Phillies last year. So I think there's a strong argument for Schwarber. He came in second place in the voting. And winning the vote got nearly half of all the votes at 49.4%. It is Anthony Rizzo, the New York Yankee first baseman. First off, I've never been in the Cub Clubhouse But I would have to imagine, just like Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo is a wonderful teammate. I can say, talking to roving coaches in the Cubs organization while I was broadcasting minor league games here in town, they raved about Schwarber, Rizzo, just wonderful human beings, great teammates, great ball players. So, Rizzo would be a really great guy to have around some of the young players. 
Again, a left-handed bat, not going to hit for a big average. His average will go up with the shift being eliminated. He's going to get on base because he has a great eye, walks a lot. Power bat again from the left side that the Cubs gave up on. Let me add this. From a baseball standpoint, if I had to choose, I would take Schwarber over Rizzo only because of position. I don't like spending boatloads of money at first base. But in terms of my favorite, I'm an Anthony Rizzo guy. He's my favorite Cub by far. I just love the way he handled himself. And I'll never forget in 2015 when he threw his cap and glove down in front of the Reds' dugout because they were running their mouths at the Cubs. And he was ready to take them all on. He stood in front of their dugout and said, let's go. And I've always felt like that changed everything about the Cubs. They weren't the lovable losers anymore with this group coming. That was a great moment, and I've always thought of that when I think of Anthony Rizzo. So the one player you wish was still on the club, Anthony Rizzo, 49.4% of the vote with Kyle Schwarber at 36%. We thank you for voting. Fun question. Let's go to today's question, and it follows up. Our first topic of the night, Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated describing how Tyler Buckner is playing maybe at the level or better than Sam Hartman right now in the practices that he has witnessed. So I asked this question. Based on how things are playing out with Notre Dame football spring practice, would you be shocked or surprised if Tyler Buckner starts over Sam Hartman? Yes, you'll be surprised. No, you will not be surprised. That is today's question. You can... Vote right now on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. Leave a message as well. Just reply to our Twitter question of the day. Would you be surprised if Buckner starts over Hartman? We'll get your thoughts as we recap this question on tomorrow's program. It is straight up 6 o'clock at Sports Radio 960. WSBT, we got to get to break. We've got to get to a sports update. And then we'll have our My 5 question of the day. Five NFL draft developing storylines that has caught my attention. That's all on the way on 960 AM WSBT South Bend. One question, five answers. This is the My 5 Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, 12 minutes after 6 o'clock on this Thursday evening. We're broadcasting live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. Our My 5 question of the day, my top five NFL draft developing storylines with the draft starting in 15 days. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. All right, coming in at number five, who will be the number one quarterback taken in the 2023 NFL Draft? For pretty much the entire process, it was going to come down to two guys, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud and Alabama former Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young. The Carolina Panthers traded with the Chicago Bears. They moved up from nine To get to number one, they gave up a lot of collateral to the Bears to move up to get to that number one spot so they could take 
their favorite quarterback. You got the Houston Texans at number two. They are desperate for a quarterback. So the top two picks are going to be quarterbacks. But who's going to go first? Stroud? Young? Well, Anthony Richardson of Florida has at least partially entered the conversation. There have been some reports that Carolina really likes Richardson. Now, they may really like Richardson, but they also might like somebody better. There is some concern about Bryce Young's durability. He is not a big guy. Could he hold up over an NFL season? C.J. Stroud has the electric arm. He is impressed in some workouts. And then there's Richardson, who gives you that true dual threat for your offense. I'm not sold Carolina would move up from 9-1 to one to take a chance on Anthony Richardson. So it's up in the air. Who's going to go at number one? Stroud, Young, Richardson. The Panthers are working their way through that decision right now, and they've got about two weeks and 45 minutes to come up with a definitive answer. Four. Another NFL draft storyline that is developing. At number four, Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. There was a time early on in this process, Carter was in the running to be the first non-quarterback taken in this draft. Maybe at number three by... Arizona. Heck, there were some mock drafts that had the Bears taking Carter at number one. Not sure that was realistic. The Bears had to trade out of that spot. They don't need a quarterback. Many teams will give up a lot to get up to number one, and the Panthers did. So what's going to happen with Carter? Because he had some off-the-field issues. He was involved in some alleged street racing after Georgia won the national championship. A member of the Georgia staff. In another car, there were some individuals who lost their lives. He came to his pro day at Georgia overweight, looked out of shape, did not perform well. Now his agent is not accepting any visits from teams outside of the top 10 picks. He is bound to determine that Carter is going to be a top 10 pick. If the draft is a week after the national championship game, He probably goes in the top five. Now after that pro day, the incident, street racing, there's a lot of question marks, and you just don't want to pick the wrong guy when you're in the top ten. So I'm really curious to see where Carter goes. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Coming in at number three, Texas running back Bajan Robinson. In the old days of college football and pro football, man, this guy would be a hot commodity. But running backs have been devalued in the National Football League. Not many guys go in the first round. Robinson will go in the first round. Many believe he's one of the best five players in the draft, but no one is probably going to take Robinson in the top ten. I've seen some discussion. The Lions' second first-round pick at 16 going with the Texas running back. He sure looks like a can't-miss. Speed, power, all in one package. If it was, what, 25 years ago, he might be the number one pick in the draft. 
But in 2023, he's fighting to be taken in the top 20 despite when you turn on the tape, he looks like one of the best players in this process. Number two. Another NFL draft storyline. What will the Indianapolis Colts do at number four? They need a quarterback. They want to find a quarterback to run their team for the next decade. Is there enough franchise quarterbacks to go around? Colts sit at number four. I mentioned the top two picks are going to be quarterbacks. Arizona's at three. They got Kyler Murray. They're probably going to draft out of that. I'm sorry, they're going to trade out of that spot. Or they're going to pick a non-quarterback. Worst case scenario, someone jumps over the Colts and the top three quarterbacks are off the board. Then what do the Colts do? Now, if they have four quarterbacks on their board they really, really, really like, then they're in great shape. They don't have to do anything. But if they like three, then they may have to think about jumping up one spot, give up some draft collateral to ensure they get one of their favorite three quarterbacks in this draft. Now, if they like Will Levis, he probably will be there at number four, but that seems high for the Kentucky quarterback. So, Mr. Ballard has some interesting decisions to make over the next two weeks before the first round starts two weeks from tonight. Number one. And I gave away the number one, answering number two. What will the Arizona Cardinals do at number three? That has to be ahead of the Colts in the pecking order of storylines because three affects four. Again, Arizona does not need a quarterback. They have a pick in a spot where a beloved quarterback will be taken. They've got to move out of that spot. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, pick your favorite non-quarterback. you got to drop down and assume you're going to get one of the guys high on your board anyway. You just can't waste trading down unless you just don't get the offer you're looking for then that's a different story but Arizona has spent a boatload of money on Kyler Murray and there is no guarantee he is the guy I think the Cardinals are hoping that Murray can turn the corner but it didn't work with coach Kingsbury two guys that were brought together to do amazing things that worked for a while and then things faded in particular this year so Arizona The draft starts at number three because quarterbacks are going to go one-two. Then what will Arizona do at number three? That is our My Five question of the day. The top five NFL draft developing storylines. Number five, who will be taken at number one? Number four, Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Where does he end up? The fascination around Texas running back, Bajan Robinson, where he might go. That's number three. Number two, what will the Colts do at number four? And number one, what will the Arizona Cardinals do at number three? NFL Draft, two weeks from tonight in Kansas City. Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. We've got some sports wagering picks to pass along coming up next here on 960. 
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 